0: Dear Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the reality of your kingdom, Lord, that you reign and one day, Lord, you will return to this earth. And Lord, in the meantime, you are with us always. Lord, help us to remember that even now, Lord, as we turn to your word and see the wonderful truths contained, Lord, please help us to remember you are here with us, Lord, you have um, been so gracious, Lord, to join yourself to us, Lord, your people, and Lord, have done so even to the point of death, even death on a cross, Lord. As we examine the depths of what you went through, Lord, pray that it would cause our hearts to worship you, to live lives, Lord, um, for you, and to know, Lord, that you will take care of us each step of the way. And Lord, also, we get to see your triumph as well. And uh, one day, Lord, your future triumph, as well as the triumph you accomplished, Lord, 2,000 years ago when you triumphed over sin and death, Lord, through your resurrection. Lord, help us to live in light of that each step of our lives, Lord. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we have made it to the final block of our of our time in Matthew. So go and turn over, if you haven't already, to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. So, Uh, here Jesus is reaching the climax of his ministry, um, and he is going to go all the way to the point of death, right? Even as we saw a couple weeks ago, that section marker where he has set his faith towards Jerusalem, and that is where he is heading. Um, Now he is arriving there. He is arriving in Jerusalem, and we are going to see what will happen um, to our Lord in Jerusalem. So first of all, Um, He he left the temple there in verse 1 and was going away. When his disciples came out to point out to him the buildings of the temple, he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be one left here on another stone that will be thrown down. Basically, all the stones that you see, all these amazing buildings that the disciples were so enamored with will be completely destroyed right? It's not all about these buildings. It's about, um, what is going to happen that he is about to tell them, right? And that is exactly what's going to happen next. So we're going to see here that, um, first of all, he's sitting, um, with the disciples coming to him privately on the Mount of Olives, right? And this is a wonderful spot. If you want to look out over Jerusalem and see the beauty of the city, um, you're up on the east side of the city, looking down just from a slightly elevated point and you can see everything. And as he's doing that, he's, uh, the disciples have a very reasonable question uh, for Jesus, and really the next couple chapters are going to be fleshing out this question. Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Um, by the way, we're going to see this at the, not only the beginning of this section, but at the very end, so keep that in mind um, after the Great Commission. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So Jesus is going to help walk them through, hey, what is the culmination of the kingdom, right? When is this actually going to happen? When will these things take place? What will it look like? Um, So there's a couple characteristics that we're going to look at um, today. And so first of all, on your handouts, you'll notice you've got a couple blanks there. The king will return, first of all, imminently, suddenly, and powerfully. Imminently, suddenly, and powerfully. So it is imminent. It is the next thing. It is sudden, not when we expect. And that's actually the blank in chapter 25, too. We're going to cover both chapters together uh, for the sake of time, unexpectedly. um, The king will return unexpectedly for chapter 25 there. And then also the coming will be powerful as well when he comes. Everyone will see it, right? It'll be worldwide. It'll be cosmic, right? There won't be any question. Hey, has the Christ returned? It will be very, very clear. So Jesus, he begins this discourse with see to it that no one leads you astray, right? There will be opportunity to be led astray in reference to the coming of Christ. Um, For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. Actually, if you go to Israel right now, this is all over the place there. A certain Jewish Messiah uh, or a certain Jewish rabbi rather is claiming to be Messiah. And then another Jewish rabbi who died many years ago, some of his believers are still saying he was the Messiah, that he's risen and all this bizarre stuff going on, especially in Israel. But this is going to be common, right? Many false Christs, kind of false messiahs, um, they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Guys, when we see things are starting to get bad, remember, that is not yet the end, right? There's still more to come. There is more to come in the future. And he's actually going to walk us through those details of what is the more to come. So tribulation for the saints, right? They will deliver you up to tribulation. They will put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And we're seeing this process slowly start to pick up, right? And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise, lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But to the one who endures to the end will be saved. John, he, um, he writes to the churches in Revelation, as we saw with Pastor Rich. Um, and he's a, he identifies himself in a twofold manner. He says, I'm your brother and also um, fellow endurer right? He's enduring underneath the tribulation verse 9 of chapter 1 in Revelation. He's enduring with them in that tribulation that is coming to the end, right? And that is where we are right now. We're enduring, right? Enduring to the end. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world, right? And this is going to get into the Great Commission we're going to see soon, right? The gospel of the kingdom as it's going forward, guys, that is getting closer and closer to the end, as it gets into these nooks and crannies all throughout the world. One of my friends, he's translating the Bible into a remote language in Papua New Guinea and all these little places that we don't even know about, right? Where they haven't yet heard the word, Um, but it is spreading, right? And the gospel is going forward towards the end of the world. And that means the end is getting closer and closer. It is approaching all nations. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, by the way, this wasn't fulfilled Um, Just with Antiochus Epiphanes back in the um, time before um, when the Greeks took over the temple. This is a future event yet to occur where the Antichrist will stand in that holy place in the temple, right? Um, On that location. And at that point, um, if you are in Judea, flee to the mountains, right? This will take place, by the way, after the uh, rapture, which we're going to get to in a little bit as well. So the church will be gone. At this point, so if we're writing out a chronology, right? We've got increasing tribulation, and then it ultimately gets to a rapture, and where the church is now with Christ in the air, and then the tribulation will occur. And right at the center of the tribulation is this moment that Jesus is referring to here. Um, Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, right? All of this um, fleeing idea, right? Um, pray that your, um, you know, flight would not be on winter or on a Sabbath. There'd be great tribulation as has not yet been seen from the beginning of the world till now. No, nor will never be, right? So this is, yeah, things are, may be getting bad in our world, but this is a different tribulation, right? This is so bad to the point of uh, nothing like this has ever been seen before, right? This is a very different time. and You can read more about it in Revelation as well. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But the amazing thing is during that time in the tribulation, um, people will become safe, right? There will be believers that will come out of that time. Uh, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short, right? It'll be cut short to seven years total. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or "There he is," do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise performing great signs and wonders, right? You even see a resurrection. You see all of these different details in the book of Revelation. And many people will be led astray by that. Um, but obviously that is not the coming of the Son of Man. That is going to be very, very clear because look at what he says next. Um, he says, for as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man, right? It'll be worldwide. There'll be no mistake that Jesus has returned, right? It'll be cosmic. And so all that to say, um, when, when Jesus returns, as to answer the disciples' question, the end of the age the clothes. These are some of those signs to be looking for. And for us, we can see clearly, hey, he is returning, right? His return is imminent. Um, it, is, it is upcoming next. And so uh, a couple of questions for discussion before we get into a couple uh, more points here is what steps do you need to take to be found doing his will at his coming, right? What steps do you need to take to be found doing his will at his coming? He's about to get into a little bit more of the being prepared, right? Um, so instead of, um, you know, he's going to gather his elect, right? Because this is the moment that we're going to be um, caught up with him in the air. You know, you can read more about that in First Thessalonians as well. Um, he will be coming... In the clouds of the heavens with great power and the glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they' will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That is that moment that we're waiting, right? So how can we be found doing His will at his coming? You can continue to look in Matthew or from other passages of Scripture, what do you think are some of those key things we can be doing um, to prepare for his coming? And that is the di- chapter 25 discussion question as well. So how can you be prepared for his coming? We won't. So for uh, for the for the part that we're going to be, which is the rapture, right? Because obviously we want to be found doing his will at his coming. And we're going to see actually um, him, uh, Jesus, give us some of those key principles, right? To be ready, um, to be found doing his will with the parable of the 10 versions, the talents, right? Um, being faithful with what he's given us. So um, it isn't, you know, we're not going to be here for the second coming. We'll all actually be with the Lord and we'll be returning with him to the earth. Um, But instead, um, you know, how can we be ready for his coming with the rapture, right? Um, Because that is the coming we're anticipating. Yeah, so part of it is. And then part of it also, um, for example, right here in um, the coming of the Son of Man. So he will appear in heaven and um, he will gather um, his elect from the four winds, right? So all of us will be gathered together. Um, So... So part of it, yeah, is the second coming, and then also there's a rapture event which we're awaiting, right, as his church. So as tribulation increases, right, not yet to the great tribulation, there will be a rapture that occurs. So how can we be found doing his will, right, you know, even as the parable of the ten versions, the parable of the talons? um, How can we be ready at his coming? We need to stay in his word. Hmm. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, Pastor Jerry.
1: In uh, Second Peter three, uh, he describes the end of the world, burning up, and so forth. And he says, and um, uh, in chapter three and verse uh, eleven, he says, "Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct?" and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the lord Hmm. so it's holiness Hmm. and godliness and anticipatory attitude waiting for our lord to come Hmm. so he does want us to live a you might say a set apart life Hmm. conducting ourselves in accordance with the will of god as it's revealed in the word of god and showing outwardly that depth of our devotion to him, Hmm. which is really what godliness is. It's, you know, demonstrating just how, in in a practical way, how devoted you are to him. Hmm.
0: That's excellent. Any other thoughts?
1: I always think about the anticipation that I, with him coming and not knowing when, Mm -hmm. that Is that this might be the last time I get to talk to this person Hmm. and you know whether he comes tomorrow or that person is taken off the earth or I'm taking you know if I'm you know I'm deceased the next day then Hmm. you know do I live with the expediency of this might be the last time Hmm. you know this person could hear the
0: Great point. You know, um, just on that note, you look at the suddenness, right? You know, one is in the field, one will be taken, one left, right? All this suddenness that occurs in verse 36 through the end of the chapter there. It, you know, just like that, you could be working at the white hair. You know, Callie and I were talking about, you probably won't have, you know, two women grinding at the mill. You know, that's probably not <laughs> the, the scenario that you'll have. But my mom, you know, works at a, um, at a furniture store and suddenly we could be gone, right? Caught up in the air just like that. Um, and so all that to say, you know, how can we, yeah, be doing this? Absolutely. By sharing that gospel, spreading the good news. Yes.
1: Yeah. What always struck me about the passage, um, that Pastor, um, uh, Jerry spoke about was how everything is going to be burnt out. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. more, 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 better, 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 <laughs> you know, always. And uh, be content mm-hmm. with what the Lord provides and, uh, I don't know, just realize it
0: it could
1: be gone in a flash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Boy, I was thinking of Hawaii. <laughs> mm-hmm. really oh, boy. Yeah.
0: There's, there's in the
1: flesh,
0: yeah. But, you know, yeah. Yeah, Reuben. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Conflict among nations, natural disasters, persecution and tribulation, apostasy. And then it ends with that 14 that says the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world. And you mentioned your friend translating the gospel in, in Papua New Guinea. And uh, in relation to that question, how maybe that goes as part, as part of what we need to be doing. Hmm.
0: Absolutely. We, we need people holding the rope for them too, right? You know, as they go to those places. So people here, people there. All of it is very needed. That's awesome. Yeah, and so we see this preparedness that needs to take place, right, in chapter 25. Um, that's that blank that I was mentioning. How can you be prepared for his coming? You see these ten virgins, um, and they are... Um, some of them are wise and they're prepared. Some of them are foolish and unprepared. And look at the difference in this parable, too. Um, so if, if you look at the ten whose lamps were already, um, and the foolish come to the wise saying, give us some of your oil. Um, but um, the wise answered saying, hey, since there's not enough for both of us, go um, buy for yourselves. When the bridegroom came, those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But look at what the Lord answers. Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. <laughs> right? And what is the point of this? Verse 13 Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour, right? The, I mean, this, this is big. Um, if, if we're not ready for the second coming of Christ, or literally, you know, in this case, for us at this point, in time, the rapture, right? That, that shows our hearts. That shows where we're really at with the Lord, right? There should be this natural desire to be prepared for his coming, right? Not that we're going to do that perfectly or all the time, but, you know, do we have that desire? There's a big difference here between those who are prepared and who want to be, right? And are working towards that versus those who are not, who are um, shut out and um, do not enter into the kingdom, Um, So, you know, again, and uh, another kind of angle on this preparedness is this parable of the talents, right? Um, The one who's been given five earns five more. The one who's been given two earns two more versus the one who's given one and doesn't do anything with it, right? Um, The wicked servant, um, he isn't, you know, just let into the kingdom. He's actually cast out, right, in in this next parable. And so all that to say, um, you you see that right here. So um, the talent is taken from him. It's given to the one who has 10, and um, he is thrown away into the outer darkness, right? Again, that massive distinction between the two, uh, between those who are prepared and those who are not, right? Those who are faithful with what they're given and those who are not. It isn't perfection, right? It's not about perfection we're talking about. It's faithfulness, right? Faithfulness to the Lord, faithfulness to the truth. Uh, And then finally, we see kind of what results, too. Um, from this awesome second coming. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him. And by the way, we will be there with Him as well. In Zechariah 14, it says the holy ones, the saints are there with Him. Right? When we're caught up with the Lord from that moment of rapture, we will be with Him always, even in His second coming in that moment. He will sit on a glorious throne and before Him will gather all the nations and He'll separate people one from another as, shepherd, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His rights and the goats on His left. Right, we've been talking about that distinction over and over and over again, right? That John the Baptist said that the Lord will has his winnowing fork, right? And he's separating out the wheat from the chaff. In this case, wheat from the goats, right? And guess what? He says, come you who are blessed by the Father to those on his right. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the, before the foundation of the world. And notice this, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. And I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer, Lord, when did this happen? And he will say, Truly, as you did it to the least of these brothers, my brothers, you did it to me. Right? What is your attitude towards those at, in the church, within the body of believers? Not that you shouldn't be kind to your enemies. Obviously, Jesus says, you know, pray for those who persecute you and, um, you know, show love and kindness towards your enemies. But, specifically within the context of the church, right? His brothers. Um, How is your attitude towards those people, right? If you desire to help meet those needs, if you have those things, guess what? As you do it for the least of those people, you're doing it for who? For the Lord, right? And he will welcome you into the kingdom in light of that. Um, But for those on his left, right? Uh, he said, you did not do any of these things. What is the attitude of these people towards Christians, right? Okay, they're judgmental, you know, hypocrites. And as um, Pastor Jerry would always say, we've always got room for one more hypocrite, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's the reality, right? And so to understand, hey, what is your attitude toward believers, right, to fellow believers. If it is one of seeking to help them, love them, serve those needs, you are doing that to the Lord ultimately, and we'll be welcomed into this, his kingdom. So those are some of the ways that we can be prepared for his coming. And we're going to actually see more of that too, as we unpack further and further into the gospel of Matthew. Um, but before we do that, we are going to turn over to chapter 26. And the blanks on your outline there, the king is rejected by even those he died for. The king is rejected by, by even those he died for. He's rejected by many people in this long chapter. Um, and it is painful to read, painful to witness, um, despite his love and affection, despite what we saw just so vividly illustrated as Marsman te- saying several times throughout the class as Pastor Rich just taught on last time too, with the washing of the feet, right? And all of those things our Lord did. Yet he is continually rejected even by those closest him, those he died for. Um, So, um, Jesus, he finished all these sayings, right, helping the disciples understand when the kingdom is coming. And he says, after two days the Passover is coming, the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified, right? Um, So, it's just two days away, and he's warning them about this, right? And so... Um, obviously, notice the, the angle is often going to be on the religious leaders of the time. Remember, this is written to Jews. And so that Jewish understanding of, hey, what did our leaders think of Jesus? Oh, they, they cast him out. But uh, Matthew doesn't dismiss that. He actually highlights it and says, you guys are following the wrong people, right? You need to follow the real king of Israel instead. And so in light of that, the chief priests, of the elders, of the people gathered, right, and uh, with the high priest, whose name is Caiaphas, and plotted to, in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. They said, not during the feast, lest least there be an uproar among the people, right? They're just so politically minded, right? You know, they want everything to be a certain way as they see fit, and they understand that this prophet is indeed uh, acknowledged by the people, and they're afraid of that, right? So they want to wait till after the Passover, but obviously that some of those details are going to change here in this chapter. So um, we see this woman, Um, who does a beautiful thing for Jesus, um, who um, anoints him, right? She gets it. She understands what Jesus is about to do. Um, The disciples, however, they say, why this waste, right? That's their attitude towards it, especially Judas, as we see in other chapters. Maybe Matthew took part in it because he says the disciples, you know, he identifies it kind of as a broader group here. Um, But all that to say, It certainly does lead into this betrayal, right? Instead of waiting until after the feast, the chief priests actually get this opportunity sooner. Uh, Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, right? He went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him to you? They paid him 30 pieces of silver. This is really significant, actually, if you um, understand some of the Old Testament background. In Zechariah 11, uh, verses 12 and 13, you guys could go there sometime and see um, also Exodus 21 verse 32 describes this as the price of a slave and it's specifically applied to the Messiah in Zechariah 11 and to see that this is the price for which Jesus is going to be betrayed and this was all prophesied right this is all part of the plan that um, the Jews certainly would have um, picked up on reading Matthew's gospel and so um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is happening, and they are getting ready to prepare the Passover, that same scene and scenario that Rich was talking to us about last week, right? And so they, um, they are making those preparations that Rich brought out for us, what that would look like, right? And they're reclining at the table, and um, he says, One of you will betray me, Jesus says. And they're all very sorrowful, and they began to say, Is it I, Lord? And he says, he who dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes at his, as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed! It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Right? Judas who would betray him says, "Is it I, Rabbi?" And Jesus says, "You have said so." Right? Even after hearing that, you know Judas. He knows he's the guy. And obviously, we know what Jesus does with washing his feet, right? And all of those details of what Rich was um, talking about last week of serving and loving even his betrayer. Um, and he is going to be rejected by one of his own disciples, not only the religious leaders, but one of his own. And he takes his, you know, bread and breaks it and says, this is my body, right? And the cup as well. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many and the forgiveness of sins, right? This is that new covenant in Jeremiah 31 that we see here. and, and, and Here we have just how Jesus is unpacking this for his disciples, right? That they will be able to partake in the kingdom, right? Um, Because of what Jesus has done on their behalf, right? Because he took our sins and bore our iniquities. They have a portion with him at his father's table. It's Awesome. And... They sing, sing a hymn, and this hymn actually comes from Psalm 116 through 118. It is a hymn that everyone would sing during Passover. As they get closer and closer, you'd start in 113, and you'd work your way all the way up to 118, but the night before, you'd sing this particular section. And it is actually um, bringing out so many of those details of the sacrifice right on your behalf right, that is going to come. And think about Jesus as he's singing this from Psalm 116 through 118, right, about the sacrifice, right, and bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the altar in Psalm 118, right, and he knows that's going to be him, that he is going to bring this to fulfillment, to actual fruition for his people. Um, so they're going back up to the Mount of Olives, and he tells that, he warns them, you all will fall away because of me, this night for it is written strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered again this comes from Zechariah and in light of all the false shepherds who deserve the punishment instead the true shepherd in Zechariah 13, verse seven, who was at the right hand of God, he is the one who gets the punishment instead. And the sheep will be scattered, right? And that is the, um, those who believe him, these disciples. And he warns them of these facts, right? And he says, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you into Galilee. And Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. But obviously we know what will happen, right? Before the roaster crows three times, you'll deny me. Um, And so Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same. But guys, Jesus is even rejected and and cast aside by his disciples, right? Even them even them. Um, So, you know, we see this touching narrative where he is sitting and he is praying. He's wrestling with the Lord in prayer. He knows what is inevitable and he is asking um, these three disciples around him to to join him right from the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Uh, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little further, he falls on his face and is praying. Uh, he's asking his father, right? If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but you will, right? If there was any other way for us to be saved, surely at this moment, our Lord would have brought that different way, right? But there is no other way. He is, si- receives silence even from heaven, even from heaven. And the, the disciples too are found sleeping right look at how alone our lord is this is this is just so sad to witness right in the midst of this sorrowful even to death right? Even after washing their feet, um, the disciples are found sleeping. And maybe you guys have felt this before too. You're praying and then all of a sudden you've dozed off or your mind is somewhere else, right? You know, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak, right? He, here even Jesus is counseling them, trying to help them understand their weakness and what to do in light of that. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation, um, And he says again, Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Right at the end of the day, Jesus resolves himself to do the will of the Father. Sleep your and take your rest later on. See the hours at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going for my betrayers at hand. And while he was still speaking, boom, Judas is there. Right, and he says, Friend, come, uh, do what you came to do. And Uh, and we see this kind of struggle that's occurring, but obviously his kingdom is not of this world, right? He at once could get 12 legions of angels, right? But he is here to go after something far deeper, right? Like we've talked about. He's not just here to um, overthrow a political government like the Jews wanted him to. He is here to do something far more, to save them from their sins. And he brings up for the sake of his captors, right, the hypocrisy of what they're doing. Hey, I've been in the temple teaching, right? Why are you coming out to me as a robber, right, with swords and clubs, right, trying to point out to them, what are you guys doing? Think about this. But all this has taken place, he says, that the scriptures of the prophets may be fulfilled, right? All of this is fulfilling that prophecy that um, is just very clear and very evident. This is exactly what needed to happen. And we see... um, yeah, just a couple more details here um, from chapter um, 20, 26 here. So they're seeking this false testimony against him, right? Again, breaking the law. And the high priest says, um, you know, are adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you're the Christ, the son of God, right? That prime confession that Jesus made right here, right? Is this Jesus? And he says, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power coming on the clouds of heaven, right? Jesus will be in this exalted position. And guess what? The high priest here, interestingly, accuses Jesus of blasphemy. But notice here, he tears his ropes. And this act is actually in completely, uh, is completely against what the law has to say. Um, back in Leviticus 21 verse 10, you can read that the high priest is not to tear his garments or any of the priests of the Lord. And so he is committing blasphemy by accusing the Lord of blasphemy. Um, All that to say, they say he's deserving death, right? And actually, you know, they're saying, hey, prophesy us, you Christ, who it is who struck you. And Jesus knew, Jesus knew exactly who struck him, but he never used his power for himself. Right. He always used it for the sake of others, for the will of his father. Right? And an amazing um, thing, he remained silent. And we're going to see that again and again. Right, Isaiah 53, verse 7, where again and again, he remained silent like a lamb before his shearers. Right? And here is our Lord doing that on our behalf. Peter denies him. Um, He's then soon transferred to Pilate. But I I want to stop for a moment before we get into um, chapter 27, or yeah, before we get into chapter 27, do a discussion question together. How does his faithfulness to us help us when we sin, right? You know, here Peter, even the great spokesperson of the disciples, he denies Jesus three times, right? All of these people have left him, right? At different points have rejected him. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's us too. We've done that at different points in our lives. We have affronted our Lord. But our Lord continues to be faithful to us, continues to work towards the cross again and again and again. So how does his faithfulness to us help us even when we sin? What do you guys say?
1: We will be in glory
0: hmm. and
1: we will be conformed to his image. That's, that's
0: awesome. amazing. That's awesome. <laughs> and then, that's awesome. Awesome. Fantastic. Okay. Well, chapter 27 here. So here we see the king is crucified for his people. The king is crucified for his people. So they um, bind him, right? And they deliver him over to Pilate. And the details in this text very much highlight the fact that it was not Pilate driving this process. It was the Remember, this is written to the Jews, the Israel's leaders, right, Is the Jewish leaders. Pilate is repeatedly going to give them opportunities to release Jesus, but they are going to continue to push for his death, right, over and over and over again, all the way to a pretty, um, pretty uh, pungent point, as we're going to see in just a moment here. Um, so first of all, we see this narrative on Judas. Um, so Judas feels remorse, right? Uh, he saw that Jesus was condemned. He changed his mind, um, right? Um, But, you know, the question is, hey, is this full repentance? Is this a turning away from um, sin um, and turning to the Lord, right? Which both are required, Um, turning away from sin, turning towards Christ. Um, He brought back the 30 pieces of silver. That's a good sign, right, to the chief priests and elders, it seems. He says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And sadly, that's exactly what Judas does. Um, what he should have done, right? Um, well, first of all, a question. What should Judas have done? You know, kind of a, a question for us to consider. You mean after he went ahead and betrayed him? What should he have done afterwards? Yeah, after, you know, feeling this conviction like he did and returning the silver. And the chief priest said, what does that to us? see Do it yourself? You know, just their coldness and callousness, obviously. Um, but, yeah, what should Judas have done in that moment? Be nice if it was
1: spelled out that he repented. Right. To the God.
0: He did, you know, instead of turning away from sin to, you know, the Savior, right? If he went to the Savior, right? Instead of seeing to it himself, like, oh, I deserve death. I'm going to go kill myself. Another sin, right? Don't turn away from sin to another sin, right? Turn from sin to the Savior from the sin who loves you so deeply, as we've been seeing all throughout this book, right? Um, that's that's the point here. You know, one, one, one kind of implication, side implication to talk about here. But um, he throws the piece of silver into the temple, and he departed, went and hanged himself, um, so that is what Jesus or what Judas did rather than turning to the Lord. Um, the, the one he had seen over and over and over again, right? You can be exposed to this stuff again and again, but in your pride, not actually go to Christ, right? And humble yourself. Have that poverty in spirit actually being under his feet. Yeah. Do you have something?
1: Interesting. He said, I betrayed innocent blood. Mm-hmm. He didn't follow up with Jesus is the Christ.
0: Hmm.
1: He just said, I've done something wrong. Hmm. Here's the money back.
0: Great point. He doesn't see that core identity, right? That key question that we looked at a couple weeks ago. Who is the Christ, right? Mm -hmm. And that is the question of questions. Great point. Great point there. Uh, so the chief priest taking the piece of silver says, it is not lawful, right? Okay, well, is it lawful to, you know, tear your garments? Is it lawful to betray innocent blood? All these things. But, you know, they're just caught up in their own system of supposed law keeping to put them in the treasury since this is blood money. And this actually um, shows their judgment. Um, there's a, there's some background here on the potter and the potter's field um, from the prophet Jeremiah and kind of funneled through Zechariah 11. Um, so here, um, a pot, the potter's field was a sign of judgment for Israel in Jeremiah's day. You can read about this more in Jeremiah 18 and 19, um, Jeremiah 18 and 19. And they do this, and actually they will be judged just a couple decades from when Matthew is read, or writing this, this letter, right? Um, so it just shows their callousness, their coldness. And obviously, a couple decades later from when Matthew is writing this, the temple is destroyed, right? Not one stone is left upon another. And all this is leading to their judgment. That's why, um, it, and there's kind of an interpretive issue here in verse 9 of um, hey, th- what was filled by the spoken, or spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, and then, then he quotes Zechariah, but obviously like I was saying, the potter's field is the background for that passage in Zechariah. So it's it's a little bit complicated there, but if you understand the Old Testament, it, it does make sense what he's saying there. Anyway, all that to say, um, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews, right? Um, And Jesus, again, answers him in similar kind to the chief priest. You have said so. But when he's accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer, right? Again, silent before um, his shearers, right? Um, Like a lamb to the slaughter. Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? He gave them no answer, not even a single charge. The governor was greatly amazed by this. Like Jerry was saying, he was dead set on fulfilling the will of his father, Right on on behalf of us his people, um, okay. yes. Go ahead. Silence in Isaiah. Isn't that part of the prophecy
1: in Isaiah fifty three? Exactly. That he is a silent lamb or a
0: lamb. Isaiah fifty three seven. Yep, exactly. Yep, yep. Absolutely. No, that's that's a great point. So this is again fulfilling more of that more of that prophecy. Um, so here. Uh, uh, pilot, um, he's perceptive. He sees um, that it's probably out of envy that they had delivered him up, right? And he calls up the greatest scum he can think of from this prison, right? Barabbas, a notorious prisoner, right? It's well known. So he's trying to give the Jews a, 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 you know, a softball here, just make contact, right? Um, I've got this horrible scum from the bottom of the prison, and I've got this one that you call King of the Jews, right? Um, so who's called Christ, right? The Messiah, right? This is, he's highlighting Jesus, the Messiah, like, hey, do you guys want this guy or do you want this, you know, scum of the earth, right? But look at what has happened. And besides, you know, his wife, just to further emphasize this, has, says, have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I've suffered much because of him today in a dream, right? So again, just compounding Pilate's intentions to free the Messiah. But look at what happened here chief priests, the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. And who are they going to follow at the end of the day, right? Who who is their current Lord and master, right? What do they want? Do they want this crucified, you know, king who's got, you know, beaten and bloodied? No, they want their Roman overthrowing king, right? That's who they want. Um, But obviously, um, in other gospels, we see they even say, we have no king but Caesar, right? They, they just want things that, the way they are. They, they don't want Jesus to come in and disrupt everything. Um, there's something fundamentally wrong with the people. And this is why the kingdom did not come to, to the people when the king came the first time. Obviously, that'll change the second time. Um, but so he says, which of the two do you want me to release for you? Um, so he says this again, right? They say Barabbas. Barabbas, right? And what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all shouted, let him be crucified. And he even asked them, why? What evil has he done? They shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Just this utter rejection, right? complete rejection of their king. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, rather that a riot was beginning, he took water, washed his hands symbolically, showing, hey, I'm having nothing to do with this man's blood. I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And note what the people say in verse 25. His blood be on us and on our children. They released from Barabbas, having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. And guys, um, in in Revelation, as we saw with Pastor Rich, um, Jesus is identified, right? Um, All nations will see him. Remember, we said at the coming of the Son of Man, everyone will see it as lightning flashes in the sky, even those who pierced him, right? Especially those who pierced him. His blood be on us and our children. Having scourged Jesus, they delivered him to be crucified. So the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. They gathered the whole battalion before him. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe Robe of a king, twisting a crown of thorns, put it on his head, a reed in his right hand, kneeling before him. They mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Making fun of the king, right? Making fun of the Jews as well for how they treat their king. And They led him away to crucify him. And so, they come to this place called Golgotha, place of the skull would not drink it, right? Remember what he said uh, with the wine. He said, I will not drink it again until I come and sit at the table in your kingdom, in the kingdom, right? And they crucified and they divided his garments among them, the cast lots, right? If you read Psalm 22, this would be familiar territory. Remember Psalm 22, that greatest trial, right? The utter pits of destruction that one day David knew his offspring would go through, which also, would lead to the greatest triumph, right? So we're seeing this, just Psalm 22 all over the place, wagging their heads, um, right? Again, from Psalm 22. And, um, you know, hey, if you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. You are the son of God, come down from the cross, Um, right? And in that moment, Jesus could have done it just like the prophecy, right? Just like the, hey, prophesy, who struck you? But instead, he does not right? He saved others. He cannot save himself. And they say it again, hey, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts God, let God deliver him. Now that's a direct quote from Psalm 22, actually used by people who are affronting the Davidic king, right? And they are quoting it, affronting the Davidic king, just complete and utter rejection, right? That's Psalm 22 verse 8, just a direct quote. He desires him for he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified reviled him in the same way, just rejected by everyone. And even in verse 45 and 46, God, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They assumed he was calling for Elijah, right? And they took a sponge filled it with sour wine, they gave it to him to drink, but others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come save him. But look at what Jesus does right? Did anyone take his life from him? At any moment, he could have laid down, he could have um, decided to um, come off of that cross, 12 legions of angels, anything, and a spur of the moment, but instead, Jesus, he went through the utter rejection, even from his own father, right? He became sin who knew no sin, that we would become the righteousness of God in him, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He laid down his life of his own accord, right, on our behalf. And look at what happens the moment this occurs. The whole earth starts responding to the death of the creator, right? The temple is torn in two from top to bottom. And Hebrews 10 talks about this new way now that is open to us by the tearing of this temple. And this is a thick, thick curtain, guys. This would be like a thunder crack roaring all over the place, right? And look at this too. The tombs are open. Many bodies, the earth shook, right? Um, Saints who'd fallen asleep are raised. Guys, these are, this is, um, I've had one of my professors, describe it as rebirth of the earth, right? It is just this whole event that is occurring, this huge event when the um, Christ, when Jesus the Christ died, when he sees the earthquake and what took place, um, they are truly filled with awe, saying this is the Son of God, right? The centurion. So he can even acknowledge it, that this is the Son of God. And so these people, um, again, Joseph, a rich man, he is... Uh, buries him, right? And this is straight from Isaiah 53, verse 9, um, that he has a rich man bury him. So again, fulfilling prophecy, our Lord is buried and they gather to the tomb and they um, do it um, quickly before the Sabbath, right? On the day of preparation, which is that um, that Saturday before the first day of the week. And so, sir, Uh, we remember how the imposter said while he was alive. Notice how they call him the imposter, right? That's how they view him. After three days, I'll arise. And so, um, they are afraid that the disciples are going to go steal him away, um, saying he's risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. And they make the tomb secure. And you know this is the depth that our Lord went to on our behalf, and I'm actually going to just march into the beginning part of chapter 28 because I want to camp out on the Great Commission too for a moment, and we'll take both discussion questions together. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the first on the on the first day of the week, right? This is the first day, the first light, right? It just says that light is cresting over, what is happening? Behold, a great earthquake again, an angel. Of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes white as snow. For fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. By the way, if you were a guard in that day, um, you would die if um, something happened to that tomb. Right? Um, that your life was staked on that piece of property right there. But they they trembled, became like dead men. And actually, we'll we'll kind of keep that in mind just for verses 11 and following. Um, the angel said to the women, though, be not afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, right? For he has risen, right? Remember what we were talking about from Psalm 22, that ultimate suffering leads to the ultimate triumph. And we see that come out for our king here. Go tell my brothers. That's actually from Psalm 22 as well, uh, in verse 22. Um, and so all that to say, um, you know, he's, he's, The message is starting to get out that Jesus is alive and Jesus meets them on their way and says, greetings and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him, right? This is the proper response. This is the king, right? This is what the wise men did at his feet, even as a baby. This is what we ought to do with our Lord. Do not be afraid, he tells them, right? The same message that the resurrected Christ told John in his glory, right? Um, That we saw in Revelation 1, he places his right hand on John and says, fear not, right? In the same way, he says, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers, to go to Galilee. There, they will see me." So pausing on that narrative, we get this little section again, just to see the utter rejection of the Jews that Matthew again is highlighting. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city, told the chief priests all that had taken place, and they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel. They gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, "'Tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away. While we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, right, this could cost them their life. We will satisfy him, keep you out of trouble. Right, just this complete rejection. In the face of truth, like imagine this for a moment as one of those chief priests and elders, right? This guard that has their life staked on keeping this tomb safe comes running, tells you what happened. And guess what? Just complete rejection, utter rejection. This is that deadness and sin, right? There really is only one way to be saved, right? By his regenerating power in our life. This story has been spread among the Jews to this day, right? So Matthew is telling them, hey, decades later, this is the story, this false story. Look at Christianity. By this point, Christianity was already growing and spreading, right? So Jews, look at this. Look at this Messiah. Who are you going to follow, these corrupt leaders? Or are you going to follow the true king, the risen king of the world, right, who fulfilled all this prophecy? For us uh, today, a couple discussion questions to consider. How does the king's death change your life? Um, for chapter 27 there. And then um, in chapter 28, verses 1 through 15, the king lives despite lies. The king lives despite lies. How does the king's resurrection change your life? For the discussion question, how does the king's resurrection change your life? What would you guys say to that? The king's death, his resurrection, how does that completely change our lives? Obviously, this is another softball, right? You know, just consider things in this passage, other parts of Scripture, what you have seen in your own life. How does this death and resurrection completely change us? It's all paid for now. Amen. Amen. Awesome. And if you want to read more on that, that Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 14 through 26, or 14 through 25 passages, key on that. The curtain of the veil is torn and we have a new and living way through our Lord. And there's that face-to-face fellowship that we have with the Lord. And actually that's a great segue into this final conclusion here. What does this all mean for our life? Remember how we started this class, the authority of Jesus. What does it mean for our lives, right? We've seen so many different facets of that as we've walked through this whole class. And now at the conclusion, um, we get to see all of this come to a head right here. How did that gospel, like Reuben was saying, reach our ears in the first place, right? There's practical considerations. Um, how, how did we, that veil was removed from our faces. How did that happen, right? We heard the word of God. And all of that is accomplished by this commission right here. Moving forward, the power of God. Remember how Psalm 22 ends, right? His authority is not just for a localized group in Jerusalem. It is for all the earth, right? It needs to go everywhere that all the ends of the earth would fear and praise and worship Yahweh for what he has done here. And what we're going to see here is that commission moving forward here. Now, the 11 disciples went into Galilee just as, remember, um, he said, go tell the brothers. And that's exactly what they did. They went to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, what did they do? Just like them, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, what? All authority, right? All authority. Every little bit of that authority in heaven and on earth. In case you're wondering, every bit of authority everywhere is now on our Lord, the King, Lord Jesus Christ. Has been given to me, he says. So what does this mean for our life? That the king has all authority now that he has conquered sin and death and everything. That he is in charge sovereignly over every molecule. As um, one person said, there's no maverick molecule in the universe, right? There's no rogue atom. It all is under the headship of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's unpack this great commission just slightly here before we get into a discussion question. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the main main verb here is make disciples. This is is that main thrust of what's going on. The go is, um, it's something fancy, just saying, uh, it, it is a participle, but kind of modifying that main verb of make disciples. But the idea is, as you're going, make disciples, right? Whatever you're doing, if it's in a workplace, if it's at church, if it is at, um, you know, home, you know, whatever you're doing, make disciples, right? This is who you are. Some people ask, hey, what am I going to be when I grow up, right? You know, as college students so are kind of working through those details right now. Um, but this is who you are. You're a disciple maker, right? You're a disciple maker. Who also does accounting or who also, you know, drills on teeth or whatever it might be, right? You know, you are a disciple maker. This is our job. This is what we are to do in light of the king, in light of him having all authority, making disciples of all nations. And how do we do that? How does that process go forward? Well, the next two participles are baptizing which we're going to get to see in just a few hours, right? Um, people coming to faith in Jesus Christ and proclaiming that faith outwardly, right? By the inward reality of what's in their heart. So baptize them in the name, the name of, notice this reference to the Trinity here, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? In the name of our God, right? The threefold Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one God. Teaching them. So here's the second way, not only bringing them into faith, right, um, true faith in Jesus, but also teaching them to observe, to keep, to guard, to protect, to do, right, to be a hearer and a doer of the word, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And we've gotten to see so much of that, right, what, what that looks like for our lives throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and behold, how is all of this energized, right? This is a tall order, Right. This is this is intense. Going to all nations, baptizing them. Right. Think about that callousness out there. Um, not only from that day with the Pharisees, but also today. Right. This is hard work to be able to do this. Um, we cannot do this on our own strength. Right. Remember Him who has yoked Himself to us. Right. Him who is there with us even now. Right. He is with us always. As David said. I've set Yahweh always before me, right? Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And remember, the disciples were wondering, what is the end of the age look like, right? What is the signs coming? Well, we know now, right? We know, we have seen it fully exposed in the revelation of the word of God to the end of the age, he will be with us all the way to that end of the church age, which hasn't come yet, but it will come soon right guys? This is our job is to make disciples. This is what it means to live in light of the authority of Jesus Christ. Be a disciple maker and be with the King of Kings. Um, That final Question, what steps do you need to take to make disciples better? One big one is just being with the Lord, right? Um, Remembering he is there with you. Uh, He is there with you. Do you acknowledge that, right? Remember he is there with you in prayer. He is the one who fuels us to be able to do this, to make disciples. Let's go ahead and go before him in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. You are the king, the one who has all authority, Lord. And what that means for our lives is simple. Lord, you have given us a clear task. Lord, help us to be diligent in making disciples. Lord, remembering that you are here with us each step of the way. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.